Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello everybody, hope you're doing well. It's Saturday evening at around 6.30 and I'm out and about in Epping Forest and today we're doing something a little bit different so we're not doing a big session, we're going to do an easy run for 45 minutes or an hour or so, just keeping it easy and what I'm intending to do is something I was intending to do anyway, but um, I've got even more reason to do it today, which I'll explain about in a minute. Um, but what I was intending to do was do a bit of an introduction to myself, really, because it's become. You know, I've been recording these sessions for what is it, seven weeks or something? I think I've done 12. Uh, ever since lockdown began, basically, I've been recording these coaching sessions. And at the start, the purpose of them was for, for some specific people, to be honest. It was for some run groups, the Dentsu Aegis Network Run Club in particular, the corporate run club. The Dentsu Aegis Network, who were very supportive. Thank you very much, everybody. And and for people I coach. So, to give them a little bit of extra stimulus at the early stages of lockdown, I just thought it might be a nice way of working people through a session. So, I started recording them, and... Uh, the feedback that you've all given me, or people have given me, has been really good. Surprisingly so, in fact. And there's things that came through that I just wasn't expecting. But I suppose in hindsight you can understand a little bit more. Um, and that is that, you know, in a time when, you know, running is a social sport, although we do a lot of it on our own, lots of people like to run with others. And at a time when you just can't do that, and you can't see other people at any other time. People were saying things like, oh, it's nice to have someone to run with, as I'm chatting away. Uh, which, which I wasn't expecting at all. To be honest, I was expecting people to go, really? No. That won't work. Well, that's not for me. And it's probably not for everyone. That's okay. I'm just going up a bit of a hill now, so I'm just going to slow the pace down. But I will get out of breath no matter how slow I go. Um, so, as I say, they were for specific people to start with who knew me. Uh, so an introduction wasn't really required. And in the early stages, nor was it uh, what has now become a podcast. It was just some audio files that I recorded 
and uh, sent to people as an MP3. I have managed to get my old man head around the tech and upload them as podcasts. Oh, I'm out of breath now. Hi. Uh, and obviously, since it's been freely available on the podcast platforms. There's been more people listening than I probably would have expected. Uh, And people I didn't know. So I got an email from a lady called Jane Brennan Roper, for example, who'd listened to my mindfulness uh, recording and said that it really helped her. It was just fantastic. It's really good to hear. And then, so the thing with the podcast is you get a bunch of analytics, and it uh, tells you your streams and your downloads and all that sort of stuff. And it's been trucking along. I don't know what's good and what's not, but you know, people were listening in their hundreds. I mean, low hundreds. Individual episodes between 50 and 100 people, probably. And then I logged on this morning just to have a have a little look. I was thinking about what I was going to do with any of my work for today. And uh, I know it's a really big spike. So I, I don't know what time it was. It must have been about half past eight or something. And this is funny. And uh, you'll understand why in a minute. I just fixed the bike chain on my wife's bike which had come off during our house move, which we moved house last week, so that's another story. Uh, someone doing some warm-up drills in front of me on the path in Epping Forest. Right. Um, yeah, so it's a big spike. I thought, that's weird. I just fixed, finished fixing my wife's bike. Thought well, it must be a glitch in the reporting. There's no way. Is that? I had like a hundred downloads today, that day. I was in the morning. That's weird. Anyway, carried on doing some other stuff, and then got a couple of messages from people in the Victoria Park areas and Town Hamlets AC, for whom I run and coach, and. Uh, Turns out there's been an article about one of my recordings in The Guardian, which was a bit weird. Written by Zoe Williams, who is doing some, well, trying to keep herself fit through lockdown. And she writes about how she used my mindfulness recording 
to help her, I guess. Um, so I saw that. I didn't really read the article. I then went and looked at... Uh, well, I read the first sort of couple of paragraphs for Blarney. That's all pretty good. And uh, went back onto the analytics platform and the daily downloads was over 600 or something. Oh my goodness. All these people listening to me rambling on about mindfulness. Or maybe not, maybe they get through the first five minutes and go, mm, not for me. But I will check because you can see completion rates and drop off rates and all sorts of interesting stuff. Anyway, so as I said, I was going to record it anyway, a session to introduce myself because I was aware on all my sessions I just say, hi it's Steve. Um, so I thought it was about time I did it properly. Or vaguely properly anyway. So, hello everyone. I'm Steve. Um, and it's Steve Hobbs. I think you might know that. And I'm a coach. I run my own business, which is called The Milestone Pursuit, which is obviously the name of the podcast. And that business looks after, or is designed to look after people who want to meet running goals. I also do some work in business, but I won't talk about that today. Uh, And I typically coach people one-to-one, but there's also other ways of doing it like this. Work with a range of athletes, uh, some very high-caliber ones, some very high-potential ones. and beginner level, um, which I think is really important. So there's a bit of an insight into me, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about what my running and background and that kind of stuff. But a good place to start in all of that is in the things and people that have inspired me through my life, and one of them is uh, my PE teacher at secondary school. Now, as a sporty person, I always make the assumption that everybody's inspired by their PE teachers, but I know that's probably not true. But we were lucky at the school I went to, which was in Folkestone, in Kent, the Harvey Grammar School. And I was very lucky to have a PE teacher by the name of Alan Philpot, who's sadly no longer with us. But he taught the school, he was a pupil at the school and taught the school for his entire career. And he was hugely supportive of 
people who tried their best in sport uh, of any ability. He believed in sporting excellence but without being elitist he also believed in sport for all and that's something I carried with me really and I think it's really important in running because it is for everyone and just because it's for everyone it doesn't mean I mean, it literally means it's for everyone obviously but for me the 220 marathon runners the 14 minute 5k runners are just as important or perhaps I should say this the other way around but, you know the beginners who doing the first half marathons or maybe a charity London marathon place they're just as important as humans and as athletes So I think it's really critical. Um, so yeah, so we work with lots of people, but what I also wanted to talk about was a little bit about, now that it's out there, this article that appeared this morning written by Zoe Williams. So it's funny, because uh, he describes me as a, the mindfulness recording if you've listened to it you'll know but uh, if you haven't you won't but it uh, it focuses on running as a meditative discipline that can be conducted at any time any place but with through easy running and through connecting your brain to your body and how you're feeling as you run, you switch off from the world in a way that's completely unique to running. And in this article she describes how she was on the search for a mindfulness podcast. And then she settled on one that didn't have too much of an annoying voice, which is a bit surprising. Uh, And she described it as a a likeable blokey Londoner, which I think is brilliant. I don't really know what blokey means, but anyway, it doesn't matter. But as she then go, and the reason I talked about that bike chain thing before was because uh, I think if that sentence ends something like likeable blokey Londoner, the type of bloke you'd go to if your chain fell off your bicycle. And, weirdly, I then went and fixed someone else's chain on their bicycle this morning. So I've done two today. I hasten to add, they're the first chains I've put back on bicycles for quite a long time. So, there we have it. It's a really nice article and the thing that gives me the most pleasure about it actually is that it's the session seemed to work exactly as I would have intended it to. 
So the idea is that you focus on specific things through the session and how you're connecting, how your brain and your body are working together and switch off from the world around you. But as you do it, you progress through like all good running plans and strategies. You progress and in this one you progress through to really taking in the world around you and appreciating the world around you. And that seemed to happen to Zoe Williams. So I'm really pleased about that. It actually works. It actually does what I thought it could do and hoped it would, but had no real idea. Anyway, so that's all good. So who, who am I? Blokey likeable Londoner he's puffing his way up the hill nipping for us at the minute um, and actually to be fair one of the questions I do get asked quite a lot when I coach people or when I'm out running with people is how do you get into running and how does it all work so and what I usually say is, uh, well, I'd always done a bit of running, not much though, but I played a lot of team sport, I played a lot of football and cricket in my 20s and 30s, and obviously at school. I've got a bit lost there, I need to concentrate. There we go. Uh, yeah, I played lots of team sport and I got to an age where team sport was getting harder for two main reasons. One, because the people I was playing against were younger and faster and quicker. Uh, so it became harder. And the second reason is I had children, which means that life became, for me, less flexible. I was less easily able to dedicate time to team sport and training and match day. I'd already given up for football, to be honest, some time before, but I was still playing cricket. But that came to an end, sadly. That's the way it is. And so I started running. Oh, I got lost again. Let's go through this way. Uh, if you want a picture where I'm running, I'm running through forest off off the main tracks at the minute, hoping that they join up. I'm ducking under a few leaves. Oh, hello. 
and there's two fallow deer. Just spooked them. They were beauties, Ed. Right, more than two. I oh, know there's two. One, he's speckled. Oh, amazing. Lost though. You've made a little path through here. Get back to the story in a minute. going while also not uh, trying to go too fast. Whoopsie. Oh no, I've gone to a really muddy patch. Oh my goodness, this is not what I planned. Never mind. I'll figure away. Here we go. A little log across the bog. I think that's a path up here, maybe. So in Epping Forest there's wide paths, you get lots of you know, walking paths basically, but good, good running paths so they can get a little bit, 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 little bit busy. There's also loads of mountain bike tracks that people have created. So you can kind of follow those, it's hard to get completely lost, but you might not know exactly where you are. Yeah, so I stopped playing cricket and got into running and actually there's a, week, there's a few years of crossover when uh, between cricket and running, there we go, main path again now, when, which was stimulated by a trip to New York actually, a weekend trip with girlfriend who's now my wife. And uh, we went to New York at the same time as the New York Marathon. This was 2006. And we went to watch it, as you do. And I'd already run the London Marathon a couple of times in 2001 and 2002 and they loved it both times. We were still playing football, so didn't want to do too much more. 
And uh, as I'd given up football by then, I watched the New York Marathon and thought, yeah, I want to do this. It looks cool. So we returned the next year and then we did it. Uh, my first two marathons, 2001 was the first one. And uh, that really was like a bucket list thing, really. And I can remember watching the very first London Marathon, give you a clue as how old I am, in 1981, as an impressionable child, who at that point, I'd been doing running actually, at that age, and endurance running too. I've been doing, Um, yeah, I've been running around lots of fields as a young child. My parents were farmers in Kent near Folkestone and I was forced out into the fields to help uh, chase sheep and cows and various other tasks. And, uh, and there are other things that came along in my early days, which I can remember. One of like village type stuff, a sponsored walk. And my dad always tells this story, I don't know how true it is, but I do remember parts of it. He reckons I was five or six, and they did, we did a sponsored walk, which was laps of a field. Each lap was a mile, and everybody sponsored me quite generously because they thought. I won't do too many. Apparently I'll be 20. Um, and then uh, a few other things I did at that time. So there was horse riding competitions. I used to run the course over the hills. So before, and I run cross country at school as well. But before 2001, I hadn't really done any racing, any road running, but I really fancied the marathon. I applied through the ballot and got in first time, uh, which was amazing. So I ran, I trained without any technology, had no idea really what to do, I sort of followed a bit of a plan. Uh, ran without a watch, finished in 3.37 with an you know, emotional sub-4 target in mind at that point and was delighted, had a great day, fantastic a massive buzz out the whole thing anyone who's run the London Marathon knows it it's just the most incredible experience I can't remember too much about it today but I know I was on a high for several days afterwards and probably beyond. And then I ran it again the following year in 2002, in 3.27 this time. Trained a bit harder, took a bit of time off and thought, that's okay, I'll leave it there for now. Then we get to New York in 2007. And uh, well then I think I've done a few half marathons and stuff and was doing pretty well. 
getting under 90 minutes was a bit of a goal and I managed to do that. And then uh, got myself into some decent shape for the New York Marathon. Oh, some big dogs ahead apparently. Uh, yeah, and I also had a great day there, ran a really good race. I was trying to do 3.15 and ran 3.07 and uh, big dog his horses. I'm going to take a little turn here. Yeah, so I ran 3.07 and New York is notoriously uh, slightly more challenging. It's hilly. It's the hilliest of the major marathons. Uh, not the hardest in my experience, but that's Boston. But that's another story. And I uh, thought to myself, well, if I can do 3.07 in New York, I wonder if I can do three hours on a flat course like London. So, got myself some charity places, got into London and had a crack. And I think I can't really remember exactly which year it is now, which is a bit silly. I should, I should know this, but it'd have been probably 2009, I think. Uh, I ran a 257 in London. And maybe two years later, I did exactly the same, another 257. I was really annoyed. My progression had stopped. I hadn't run a very good race. And, and that was the moment, really, that bad race, in inverted commas. It was the moment I thought, no, I need to do something different now. And running at that point in my life was serving two purposes, and it still does today, which is to protect my mental health. At the time, back then, 2008, 2009, I was working in media and advertising, and uh, at the beginning of the credit crunch, and the austerity years and there's periods of time where it's really stressful also quite stressful in life uh, at that time or just before that time really after I'd split up with my first wife oh yes I've been married once before I've got myself onto a road. Have I done that? That's the distraction of talking about past marriages. Anyway, uh, there should be a path here somewhere. There isn't. Okay, back to the road. Uh, yes, yeah, so I was running as a release and found it massively therapeutic. Also, I'm a pretty competitive individual. So I was using it for sport as well. And having played football all my life, and team sport all my life, 
wasn't quite ready to give up on competing or competing in sport. So it's all pretty important and that's still true now. I'm still running to keep myself healthy and sane but I'm also running for sport. And I think those two things can really coexist in running, you know, in a way that it can't in any other sport. And I also think, go back to my earlier point, about sporting excellence versus sport for all. Running is a sport that can enable those two things to coexist as well in a way that lots of other sports can't. football you know, you've got to be at a similar standard to your teammates because either you're going to let them down or you're going to get dropped from the team or they're going to the better players will move on to a team that's better suited to them so it doesn't quite work the same uh, yeah so they're doing things differently involved a couple of things really actually involved really one main thing and that's joining a club so I joined Victoria Park Harriers and Tower Hamlets for whom I run competitively and I coach so I'm really lucky I lived in East London through all that period more deer ahead Squirrel for tree. Uh, yeah, and the club is fantastically welcoming, and and it's been a really enjoyable few years in that club where a whole bunch of people have really driven each other on. The club swelled in number. All all. Um, all standards and abilities to be honest uh, we've got some really high caliber athletes I'm talking you know, sub 220 marathoners people who've competed internationally and some who've got aspirations to compete internationally and uh, all the way through to beginners and people at the beginning of their running journey just like I was in 2001 and all of that so then what happened was I I developed really quickly and um, I think my first marathon when I was running for the club having huffed and puffed my way through lots of training sessions with Mick Cairns and Well Street Common trying to make friends with people that perhaps I wasn't the lumbering old cricketer that some people might have thought I was and uh, yeah I think my first marathon with the club was the 2.49 and 2.50 was my goal and I ran a great race I really remember that one as being nicely paced, nicely controlled
And uh, a big part of that was how I approached it mentally. And then, you know, obviously there's the physical side to it, it's how you train, but also how to piece together a training block and a, uh, and a race where you're stretching yourself beyond your known capability. So that was a real focus for me, being really motivated, really think, thinking about what I needed to do, how I needed to think. Some rabbits scuttling away. Uh, and then at about that time, so this is probably 2013, just after the Olympics, which was a big turning point in my life as well, where Well, so there's another turning point, I turned 40. And at that point, I'm thinking, I'm not sure I want to do media and advertising for the rest of my life, my working life. What do I want to do? So I did a lot of work on that and landed quickly on this idea that I wanted to work in sport. Sport is what I was passionate about, what I believed in, not just for competition but also for what it does and how it influences people and it's a positive force for good or it's a positive force for balance and and it's a brilliant learning environment now what you learn through sport you can apply everywhere in your life and I really believe in being able to translate one or your learnings from sport into other things. So, so I think about that and thought, so what, what can I do? What can I bring with my old skills? Well, the skills that I had in media advertising, what were those skills and how can I apply them to sport? And, I settled quite quickly on the idea of being a coach. It felt really natural when uh, when I was working it through with a coach, um, a life coach by the name of Ann Taylor, who really helped me. And you know, the reason that it became natural and felt subtle. Oh, I settled on it quite easily. It's crossing a road. Back into the forest. Yeah, it's because basically in, the, in, my, in my work, I wasn't a particularly skilled practitioner, but I've always been a reasonable manager of people and, uh, and worked into senior leadership positions which we're all about managing and leading people these two things not being the same thing and uh, and in that at that time it was you know coaching was a major feature of how I would work um, 
and actually one of the things that changed for me was the, that coaching approach with people through the credit crunch became way less valuable, way less appreciated by the people who I reported to. Uh, so that made what I did less appealing. So it just felt a natural thing to do. So I went and qualified, did all the bits and bobs that you need to do. I just drove through a bit strong. It's like it's six o'clock, oh, it's probably seven o'clock now. Bright sunshine and people are cycling with massive strobe lights. Have you ever run at night in streets in London when people on bikes have got strobe lights? They're a nightmare, you can't see anything when people are coming at you. Uh, that was like a natural progression into a coach, yeah, so I did all my bits and pieces, qualifications, enjoyed that, and then I got going, coaching people one-to-one, and some very supportive people at the club helped me along, Simeon Bennett and Annie Trian were my of my first clients. Uh, and I've been strong advocates ever since. And um, something I really value. So that's cool. And that sorts some of the club up really. It's a very, very supportive environment. And it always has been in my time there. Which is only really a few years when you by comparison to many others. What are we doing here, guys? Which way? Did... Thank you. Uh, yeah, and it's sort of grown from there, really. I developed my business, the Milestone Pursuit, which, as I say, is about running, but it's also about beyond that, so helping people their milestones in all walks of life because the skills that we have are really I'll go around you this way thank you really about coaching people it just happens I'm coaching runners most of the time and in running and as those who are coached by me will know I think that you know the sessions and the training blocks that we put together are only half the story. Obviously, you have to have a level of fitness, but you also have to have. Oh, I don't want to go that way. I was going down a big hill, which means I have to come back up it again. Uh, which I don't want to do today. Yeah, so it also involves. the brain and making sure that we're taking care of the things that we need to do mentally to get ourselves through it, to get ourselves to where we want to be and even down to identifying where we want to be is a really important skill. Lots of people will say I want to run this or that, let's say a three hour marathon or maybe 17 minute 5k or something 
and uh, going, yeah, but why? Why is that so important to you? And there's loads of reasons, and I won't go into those today. But but I think that's a really important part of what I do, and it's certainly where I get the value. thing that I enjoy about coaching is helping people and obviously you know big days like the London Marathon they're fantastic helping people people achieve their goals is a brilliantly rewarding day it's one of my favorite days in fact it probably is my favorite day of all I've run the London Marathon itself nine times now I think I kind of forget I'm going to work it through now as we're doing it. So I did 337, 327, 257, 257. So that's four. Then I did 249. That's my breakthrough. And actually that one I remember finishing in the commentators or the PAs going, and here we are. These are the, the best of Britain's club runners coming through. And I felt an enormous feeling of pride. I was in that bunch but there's always more so I think I can't remember if it's next year or the year after we did 2.38 which is actually my favourite one of all then I did hmm, I think I did another 2.38 in the really hot year in 2018 and then last year, I did that terribly boring thing of running it as a training run for Comrade, the Comrades Marath- Ultra Marathon. I ran 2.50, pretty much dead, I think. Uh, so that's eight. So I've done eight. I was going to do nine this year, obviously, but that's cancelled. And. So I've done eight and I've done about the same number uh, in other places. So I've run Edinburgh, uh, Chicago, Boston, New York, I mentioned that earlier, Berlin, Florence, uh, Manchester, Amsterdam, there we go. And Amsterdam and Manchester were also big breakthroughs. Uh, so my Amsterdam, the back end of 2018, around 2.31. And then in Manchester in the spring of 2019, And 2.30 and 41 seconds before my legs gave way on the line. Gave it everything for a sub 2.30 effort. And was on track until the last mile when it all went a bit wrong. Uh, but probably 
I mean, that's, I'm really proud of all of that, to be honest. 16 or 17 road marathons, I can't really remember. Uh, a few trail marathons as well. So I'm really proud of all of that, but I'm also incredibly proud of the Comrades Marathon, which I ran in 2019. So, if you don't know, the Comrades Marathon is basically the uh, South African equivalent of the London Marathon, only it's over about 90k or 55-ish miles which doesn't bear thinking about right now Uh, and the one thing that for me really doesn't bear thinking about I've never never been able to get my head around it even from the moment I finished is that I only stopped running over 55 miles once for a wee the rest of the time I was running the whole way and that's just it's just weird to think that I was that I was capable of and I did that and and of the things I'm proud of with that finishing time 6 hours and 38 minutes and my position which was 89th or 87th, I forget which, and even probably more importantly, the way I ran the race, which was a massive, put a bit of pressure on myself not to ruin my race by going off too hard, so I kept it really easy, and ran a big negative split, and of all the runners in the whole race, which is you know, 20,000 people or something. I ran the last 10k, which includes a really big, challenging incline. I ran it 13th fastest out of anyone in the whole race. Which I hope it's not, but rather suspect it is going to be the pinnacle of my running career. So anyway, that's my running. I think that tells a bit of a story. Blimey, we've been 50 minutes. I'm nowhere near home. Here we go, I can take this little track. I'm just going to think about whether there's anything else that I've compelled to say I suppose the other thing that it's worth touching on now if you've got to this point in the uh, in the session is uh, is this podcast and what it's going to be and what it's going to going to do I mean I'd say it started life as a way of helping people who wanted to run together and who want to be coached through lockdown 
But if it continues to be useful, then I'll probably carry it on. And I guess my question to the people who've listened this far into my ramblings today might be, you know, what what types of things would you like to listen to? You know, a number of the sessions are sessions. You know, they are, we are running, you know, some reps, hill repeats. Oh, I'm just about to come up to a big hill now. Uh, and they're not, you know, they're not wildly shatty, you know. They are they're coaching sessions. There's a bit of recovery time, which I might talk about some stuff. And I can talk a little bit about what I know about the science of running, as well as a little bit about what I know about the psychology of running. But feedback is good. And I probably wouldn't be at this point in the, uh, the development of the podcast without feedback. So please keep it coming. So I think after 54 minutes, I'll leave you alone. Thank you. Uh, And remember that a recovery session, an easy run, as this is, I've been able to talk pretty much all the way round. Maybe got a little out of breath on the hills. I kept it really slow. It's really good. It's really good for the soul. Not pushing hard all the time. It's also good for the legs. Keep them turning over. But without creating any muscle fibre damage, that can come in your harder sessions that I'll be recording this week. And it's supposed to be fun and enjoyable. So thank you for joining me. I have enjoyed it. I'm going to pause you there. And find my way home for the final part of today's recording. Uh, sorry, today's my own session. And I shall be back soon with more coaching in your ear. Uh, thanks everyone. Take care. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.